Welcome to 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo, where I help passionate entrepreneurs condense an hour of business research into 22 minutes of powerful conversations filled with knowledge, stories, and advice to help you achieve your one-year goal in 90 days. From national stages to your earbuds, I'm here to tell you that it's possible to have a profitable and sustainable business without the fear of overwhelm and uncertainty that comes with being an entrepreneur. It's all mojo and none of the fluff. It's time to get motivated in 22 minutes. So welcome to this week's episode of 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo. And, you know, this episode is is very unique. It's one of a kind. It's straight from the heart. You know, I reached out to Josh Booth, who is somebody I've known, I'm going to say five years, probably. You know, yeah. I've known him professionally. I know him personally. You've done some some work for me in the terms of you are a world-class business owner. You have your own company of Diamond Label Films. You know, you, you are a, a wedding film master guru. I mean, that's how I see you. That's how your audience sees you. You know, and like you said, when, when I asked, you know, how can I best bring Josh forward today? It's just who you are. Like I said, this isn't the business so much as, you know, I see you as a father. I see you as a husband. I see you as a friend. I see you, you know, in business. And so like, I just, like I said, it's such a ripple effect of how I know you. And my heart is just, this is my way of bringing your voice to people who maybe don't know. I just want to have a real conversation. So, you know, thank you for, for giving me this opportunity, Josh. Absolutely. Thank you for opening your um, platform and your audience. Yeah. So, you know, let's just take it here. And, and like I said, when I reached out to you, I said, you know, I just, your voice needs to be heard. You are experiencing some things that, you know, nobody's walking in your shoes. And I really want you to take us into that space of like, what is it like to be Josh Booth today with all of the things that I yeah. mentioned, you know, as a human, as a father, all those things, business owner, take us there. Yeah. So this is an interesting time, Marlo, because White America has woke up. When I say white America, I mean like my friends who would normally not uh, advocate for Black Lives Matter. They are not racist. They're just not anti-racist. And so for me, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So everyone is on board. Not everyone, but a, a large majority. And for me, it's like, but this happens every year, multiple times a year. I've lived like this my entire life and uh, you don't recognize it as a child. And so you start getting a little bit older. So for me, it's, it's comforting, frustrating, and, but also like overwhelming. And, and I've had conversations with probably three or four of my conservative friends this week. And two were back to back. Told my wife, I was like, I can't, I can't do this today. So just imagine the amount of conversations we need to have. It's hard to have them on social media. And so a lot of my white friends are reaching out, inboxing, probably get about two messages a day. I love it, but it's overwhelming because a lot of what we go through isn't taught in schools. For me, racism isn't uh, being called a derogatory name, being looked at weird in a store. You know, like, yeah, those things happen. I'm big on recognizing each of our own personal biases and stereotypes that we hold about other groups. Um, I truly believe that the way to combat racism, actual racism, is to recognize those things we hold within us and talk about open, like have uncomfortable conversations. Then we'll start to realize like those preconceived ideas that we have about other groups of people, they come from media or what we have seen or have heard in movies or music or television. And it isn't until you get to know someone of a different race, you know, ethnic background, 
culture, whatever, uh, that you start to realize like, man, they're like me. We have our own <laughs> troubles, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so with that, racism becomes a problem when we have, when, when we take those preconceived ideas and then we outwardly express them and can have the potential to impact someone's life negatively. And so for me, it's like these people that we are seeing on social media that are making these weird comments, a lot of them are nobodies, but some of them are judges, lawyers, law enforcement, the H&R people who do hiring, <laughs> you know, loan officers. And that's where I think it matters, you know? Yeah. Okay, so, you know, you bring up a really good point. You know, it is important to have those uncomfortable conversations, Josh. How do we start them? Because it is, it's like this awkward silence. Let's be honest. How do we, how do we engage that? Like, from your vantage point, you know, like, what do you see as the best possible way to say, hey, you know, like, raise our hand, what, I'm ignorant, I, I don't even know how to proceed, you know, like, how do we do it? And, and what's the biggest, best most uncomfortable conversation do you want us to be having? Oh, man. I feel like racism is such a complex topic. That's the reason why I get buried. I feel like we need to have the conversation of the history because from what I experienced, a lot of my white friends are like, we need to take personal responsibility. That's what we hear off. But then there's also us needing to have the conversation of just, hey, this is what I struggle with internally. Start to bring those things to the light. And then we start to realize we're all alike in that fashion. But the history, that's what I'm big. We're not taught the history of Black and Black in America in school. It wasn't until I was late 20s until I started to find, you know, figure out like little policies like red line. And, you know, uh, it, it just anyone can just Google that, you know, that's, uh, you can start it there and just learn. And then the more you like, you read, you'll learn about another topic. And, and redlining is huge where like, Bankers were purposely not loaning to Blacks and keeping them out of certain neighborhoods. The reason why history is important to me is because often when I'm battling people online, <laughs> they are saying, why is it that Black people point the fingers? Why? And, and they don't understand that it's, it's not a fair race in America. If you look at 400 years of slavery, just that alone, Blacks are not allowed to read, learn, write. That's 400 years of just being behind academically. And then we're like okay, thrown out <laughs> into the wilderness and say, okay, you're free now. We understand you don't have anything in America, so we are going to give you 40 acres in a year. That never happened. And then it's like another, what is it, 60, 70 years of oppression, like real oppression, like yeah. actual, you know, like racism and segregation and lynchings and Jim Crow laws, uh, not being able to vote, just, a, a, and, and then you expect that to be corrected in like two generations. You know, right. and I always ask my white friends, like, your great grandparents were different than mine statistically. You probably know someone who had land handed down to them. I don't. And that's just the, you know, like, and so we are at a disadvantage in America already statistically. And a lot of like what we struggle and deal with has ties, direct ties to, to slavery. So when, when we have the conversation of what reparation should look like, we always hear, but you weren't a slave. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, no, I wasn't. But, you know, my diet is tied to slavery being, you know, the slaves were given the worst of the worst food. And so that got handed down to our great grandparents. We handed it down to our grandparents. We handed it down to our parents, our way of living, our way of thinking. Everything is directly tied to slavery. Right. And so trying to correct that in a few generations is hard. And, and it produced the climate that we have now. It is. I mean, it's that compound effect. And I mean, you just mentioned just a handful of things, Josh, but 
my God, there's so many. There's, it's so deep, like you said. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's where the tension is, you know. And I do see the younger generations. I really do see them embracing this change, and they want it. A lot of yeah. people want it. And like you said, though, it's not like you just flip a switch and you get everybody on board. I'm always solution searching, right? I, I don't mm-hmm. really see negative in my world, you know, and that's, yeah, and that's why I love you because, you know, I just, um, I'm always out to see the positive, to see the silver lining, to see the possibility. And so that's always the lens in which I look through. If you could have a solution, right? If you could, if you had the power to have the biggest change and you would be the one to, to make the change, what would you do? Like, what do you recommend? Like, where's that, that, you know, let's go there for a minute. Like, I think on just a basic level, like a while ago, I would have said, befriend someone black, but that's not enough because, you know, like social media allows us to do that and not really step into the world. Um, A lot of my white friends who get me, they have actual friends. And what I mean, like they have conversations, they meet up, they, and, and I mean, like have dinner and not in a restaurant, have dinner in their space. A lot of my conservative white friends are afraid. They are scared like uh, uh, to walk into this space where like they are uncomfortable. But we need to have that uncomfortableness. Like I'm uncomfortable every time I step into a room right. with people who don't look like me. And I have no idea why. And I don't know if that's because of history in America and because of what I see on TV. But if I have it, I'm sure everyone else does too. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I can remember as a child, so we were a part of the Kingdom Hall, uh, Jehovah Witnesses. And, and I remember this white lady taking us in and, and befriending us. And, she, and so we, we lived in what was considered not the best area in my town where I grew up. And she took us in, my mom and six of us kids, fed us dinner and watched movies with us. And I remember thinking back then as a kid, I probably had to have been about, I don't know, 11 or 12, something like that. I was old enough to be aware that like people don't do this. And like, why is this lady showing that special attention? I mm. get it now that I'm older, but I, I remember that more than anything from that time period. I remember the food she cooked us. She cooked us steamed vegetables. And that's something that I don't think I've ever had. Uh, you know, it was, it was amazing. And uh, I don't, I would love to know what she's doing now, but that's something that I always think about. And so for me, if I had one solution, it would be to, embrace a person of color, their family, go into their setting or invite them into yours and just talk. And you just never know what you will learn, you know? Right. So I'm hearing you say, just, you know, be you. Look, just look through an open door, you know, no barrier, no obstacle, just embrace. Just like, let's just, yeah, yeah, yes. Right? That's huge, part of it. Yes. The offline is huge. Yes. Uh, there was a quote that I read in sociology a few years back. This guy said that to combat racism, we have to work right directly next to someone that is not like us. And I, I didn't understand it at first. And then I ended up having this job about a year later where I worked next to this 19-year-old white kid who ended up was racist. He wasn't like blatantly racist, but he used to say these little jokes to me about Mexicans or about Blacks. And then he befriended me online and I saw that none of his friends were black and the things that he would say was borderline like prejudice, racist. And so through several conversations with this kid, I learned where his anger came from and he got to see me as a human. And one of the things that he said to me was, you're not like them. And it was super offensive, but you know, I, I understood. 
because he did not have that network or the surrounding of people of color or people who look different than him. And it's such a sad story because I ended up saving this kid's life. I saw him passed out a few years ago on July the 4th and uh, he was having, he was suffering from like a heat stroke or something. And he, he, he was laying in the middle of the grass and they said any little bit longer, like he would have been dead. And so many people passed by and watched this kid lay there, but it was the black guy that saved him. And so that was huge for me. And, but then he ended up taking his own life years later. So it turned wow. out to not be such a happy ending, but uh, that always plays. So if we can get next to people that don't look like us, that don't share the same background. But even you, like even just relating that story and listening to, you know, you just dropped you just dropped everything. Like, you know, this was somebody who um, offered you conflict in life, right? And yeah. didn't really run next to you like you would have loved them to. And yet you turned around and saw them in a situation where they needed help and you mm-hmm. stepped in. So it's just yeah. like, you know, so you, you drop that barrier. You just said, you know, this is a person. It doesn't matter who they are, what they do. You know, I'm, 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 a, you know, I just want to help. And, um, you know, I think that's, yeah. How can we help? I mean, I know we're, we're having this conversation and I, I guess, you know, what I'm trying to do is just find answers. I don't know if there are answers truly. Um, but if somebody's listening to this episode and they're hearing us in synergy, you know, um, just bringing it, you know, what, is there a difficult conversation that you, that you want us to have? Is there, you know, t- just take us into that, that biggest pain point for you right now. Yeah. Marla, the hardest part, and, and being that I am a storyteller, a videographer, I know how to touch people emotionally. Um, and the hard part is that people care, but they don't care enough. They don't care enough mm-hmm. to do the research uh, because what they think racist, a lot of white people in America think racism is saying derogatory terms. They think saying white privilege is offensive. And I would love, to, let me just tackle that for a second, because that's something I've been running across with my conservative friends or people who are like kind of middle, <laughs> middle America. Um, they, they say I'm, I'm automatically turned off by the term white privilege. And I said, you know what? I, I had to put myself in your shoes and I would be too. I heard black, black privilege. But um, it's something that we all have to like research and see what we mean when we say white privilege or black privilege. We all have privilege in this country at some point in our lives. Uh, we have uh, we are privileged than more than someone else. Um, I noticed when my male privilege is at play. I noticed when my black privilege is at play. If I walk into a room full of white people, I will get special attention because I am black, and there will be people who will go overboard to prove that they're not biased in any way and that they should show me attention. That is my black privilege at hand. And so uh, when we look at the numbers in America, when we look at the disparities, yeah, some of it is personal responsibility, but then a lot of it is the upper hand and the head start on this race that whites have had in America. And that's not saying that every white American will have this privilege, like instantly, like, oh my God, I, you know, grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. No, that like, like that's not what we're saying. We're saying that in Iowa, you're 7.5 times more likely to be arrested for marijuana if you're black even though the numbers show that we use it equally as our white counterparts. Um, just little things like that all across the board, whether it's educationally, black is just viewed different. It really is. And, and I asked my white friends, would you like to be black? <laughs> yeah, no, sir. I mean, that, and that, that, really, I mean, that makes good sense. And, the, and seeing that's the thing, that's where my tension comes from. 
because I, I, I never see it like that. And I just, I can't even fathom. I, I just, it just frustrates me as a human that people are treated so differently or so poorly. I just, I, it, that is, yeah. that just vibrates like with such tension for me. Cause I, I yeah. people are people, you know, and yeah. Good Lord. Okay. So here we go. Let's talk about this. Like people are rioting, right? And we even mm-hmm. experienced last night, it was going on in our own community here. You know, yes, we're in the Midwest. Yeah. Yes, we're fortunate. This podcast, you know, is a nationwide podcast. So people are listening from all over. But, you know, um, talk to us about that and like what you see yeah. in that space and um, give us some insight. So I would say to your listeners and to anyone listening, uh, there are so many black people against the rioting and the looting, but you won't see that. You don't see that on TV. And it's just made to look like those people out there are the representative of Black Lives Matter and they're, they're causing destruction. Those same people who can say that and paint us with like this broad stroke will in the same breath say that not all police are bad. It's just a few bad apples, which I agree. Well, can we have that same luxury can we have that same thought like not everyone in black lives matter is bad it's just a few bad apples and that is the truth like a lot of black people are like no you are destroying our community um it's the young people that are out there being really riled up and it's a good mix of proud black white uh you know hispanic and marlo i'm conflicted because i hate violence i hate destruction the truth is that white america is waking up the rest of america is waking up because of that Right. And yeah, it takes that much to get the attention, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what one of my conservative friends said. He's like, man, I, I, I just had to say to myself, like, how bad does it have to be that your last resort is to resort to violence and rioting and looting to get your point across? He was like, man, it has to be really bad. And that's what woke me up. Right. Yeah. You know, history repeats itself here, too. And that's just maddening. Yeah. You know, like, why can't this ever get corrected? I think that's where I get frustrated. It's like, my goodness, how long do we have to keep at this? How come history has to just continue to repeat itself like this? That's the maddening part. Like, let's just, good Lord, let's fix this thing. You know, let's not have to continue. So we have, what, 20 years from now, we're starting the repeat cycle. That's just, to me, that's, I think, frustrating. And I think that's probably exhausting for you too, don't you? I mean... Yeah, Blacks in America, we've just learned to live with it. I don't think it'll be corrected in my lifetime. I don't think it'll correct it in the next 30, 40, 50 years. (laughs) But that's that's got to feel just gross, too. I mean, honestly, Marlo, man, it used to feel way worse when when I felt like the color of my skin was preventing, you know, the advancement of my life. I make a lot of my own rules because I I am so. (laughs) And so I'm privileged in that right and feel for a lot of people that aren't and they have to answer to someone and they have to depend on someone to say yes you have the job or you know for some reason I don't like you today I'm gonna let you go so yeah my wife and I we're both self-employed for on um on purpose for that reason and so I don't feel as bad anymore what you've done is you've put a sense of control in there Josh that and I think you've stepped up and that's not an easy thing to do I don't care who you are, but that sense of control is empowering you. And I'm just grateful that you have that, you know, because I love that that sense of freedom. You know, I too have been an entrepreneur, you know, an independent person. I thrive in that arena. Not everybody does, but I'm grateful to hear that, you know, that is such a great space for you. Okay, so let's have the conversation. Your father, right? 
You're raising yeah. kids in this space. Let's go there for a minute. Like, how was that uh, conversation? And just the fear in your heart as, as a father and, you know, your wife. My son is almost 16. And I wish that I would have taught him about what he needs to know. Um, right now, he is that popular black kid. He is a sports star and all of his mostly, like, majority of his friends are white. So he does not see racism as an issue, uh, which is tough. But uh, his last year, he's been like, Dad, some things happened that made me uncomfortable. So it's like, and now he sees what's going on. And he's like, man, we're living in a chapter, <laughs> a chapter in a history book for the future. I'm like, yeah, you are. So I was like, I've had to explain to him like why people are upset. I used to be the guy that if I got pulled over and I know I got pulled over because I was black, I would raise hell. And this is when he was probably like four or five. And I, I wouldn't like get angry, but I would always like give the officers a hard time. And now I realize, man, how foolish was that? <laughs> like, do you know, like people do not survive because of that. Right. And so like now I'm big on teaching him to just like how to survive a situation, even in situations when you like encounter other people. So that's what Black America is like, is just being aware and like how to survive because yeah. you can lose your life in so many ways. I was just having this conversation about the young, I think, I think the kid was 19 or 20. He got murdered in, in broad daylight at a gas station in Florida a few years ago because an older white guy pulled up. He didn't like his loud music and he confronted them and told them to turn their music down. And that was no altercation. There was just words. And the guy went to his car, got his gun and shot him and said, here for his life because of that. And because of that, I, I don't like to go to Florida. Florida is a stand your ground state. I don't like to go to Texas because of the stories there. And so that incident has shaped the way that I, I live my life. When I pull to a gas station or to a store, I turn my music down, even if it's not super loud. And so we have these situations that play out in front of us and in, in America as being black. And you're like, okay, wait, there's another way to die. It's like a thousand ways to die. So it's like, if I see a construction site now, I'm not going to check the house out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And, but how sad. I mean, and just listening to you describe that, though, Josh, I mean, exhausting, exhausting, because yeah. you just, you have to see it so differently. And it's sad, too, because, yeah. you know, we have two sons, two adult sons. I can't even fathom trying to tell them how to equip themselves and what to be, you know, thinking about just to go to the gas station. That is like, yeah. that is just everyday yeah. stuff. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I, I would, there's so many cases of police injustice. It's very rare for the police to murder someone, very rare. But when you look at the things that go unnoticed, the unjust, like the police brutality, like, like that's what I'm more worried about than getting killed by the police, like honestly. But we have these situations that come up year after year, multiple times a year, and people are like, well, if they wouldn't have done this or if that wouldn't have happened, but they aren't paying attention to the cases like Sandra Bland, you know, young black female who was going from Chicago to Texas to get a job and like was pulled over by the police for some reason for a tail light, she was arrested and found dead in, in her cell the next day. And like no justice. And we you like we haven't forgot about that. And so it's just these compound things like that that has happened. Mm -hmm. And I also understand that like more white Americans are killed by police. I don't think we're dealing in a racist police state. I don't. I, I think we're dealing in a police state where they need proper training um, and that, yeah, we should be standing up for even the white civilians that are killed. I don't know whether they're just or not. We don't see them. Right. You know, for some reason, media talks about black 
and white because it sells, but we, we right. should all be aware. Right. You know, and it's that fear factor. And I think people just the underlying when somebody's different from us, whether they look different, act different, whatever, because they're not like us. I think we're just, I don't know if it's fear is the word. It's, I don't know. It, it's just, it's crazy, but people just, you know, they raise their guard and yeah. I don't even know what to say to that. So, okay. So we're going to come to the close of this episode. What do you want to see happen in the next 90 days, Josh? The next 90 days, I would like to see a lot of the politicians stepping up and listening to the loud voice in America right now. I feel like Governor Reynolds did that by having the Black voice being represented by the uh, NAACP and a few other Black leaders in Des Moines. But then they also need to go forward and keep their word about having consistent meetings. I've seen so many police officers and law enforcement step up and say what happened in, uh, in Minnesota was wrong. Um, that hasn't happened in the past. It, not at this number. You know, a lot of people in Black America feel like all cops are bad because the good ones don't stand up for what's right when something happens unjustly. Yeah, it goes back to that fear thing because, like, they're probably afraid yeah. of their own fellow officers. And if they cut out a line, do something, you know, that is not the mainstream right there. Exactly. Once and again. I, I also want to leave this with your listeners. I, I saw this meme that said, uh, if Black Lives Matter bothered you, but Blue Lives Matter didn't. Then it wasn't the lives that were important. It was the word Black. That was powerful. All Lives Matter didn't exist until Black Lives Matter did. And it was just, that was a group of people saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all of us matter. And so now that has become super offensive to us. We just want to be heard. So in the next 90 days, I would like every one of us to, to befriend someone that's not like us. You'd be surprised what you'll learn. Mm -hmm. A lot of my white friends who are standing up for this cause have these really interesting stories. Like, I didn't get it until my best friend who is Black or really good friend who is Black, I went somewhere in public with them or I did this with them and I started to see how people treat them. You know, and it's like, if people can treat you like that without knowing you, then just imagine those people who actually hold some power in this country. Right. System, you know, some, you know, power in the system. Racism is a system. Yeah. And just understand, I mean, just those unknown conversations, just let them happen. And it's within that space, I think, that a lot of awareness will be created. And I think for me, anything, you know, like that's why I wanted to bring this conversation forward and create an awareness, because I think that is where there's a lot of power. I just remember when you and I were working on that project and we were zooming around town, we were shooting some videos. You guys did some, you did some video editing for me and stuff. And I just had a blast with you. I mean, it was just like yeah. just you and I just having our day, you know, and, and I got to know you and you and I were just chitty chatty. Yeah. And it was, that was just a really fun day for me. And, um, you know, I just, and that's why I just, I, I want to reach out because I see you as a friend and I, I see you, you matter. And I love you to pieces. I love your family. I just, you know, if there's anything to do that, you know, that we can support, I just, I'm going to encourage other people that are listening to this, support somebody. Because yeah. I'm guessing, you know, if we can just come together and just kind of love and support, and what is that even? And ask, you know, how can I support you? Let's figure that out. So, excellent. All right, my friend. Well, this is where we're going to close out. I'd love to keep the conversation going. So, you know what? 90 Absolutely. days from, from now, we will probably bring this back around and, you know, see where we're at, see what change has been made and what conversations have been had. And, you know, I just wish the best for all in this space. And, 
I think everybody has a little something that they can do to make a big impact, but we have to do it. Don't just sit silent, you know, listen, act, do something that um, brings positive as much as possible. So, all right, my friend, thank you so much. And we will, uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Thanks, Marlo. You betcha. Yep. You too. Did you enjoy this podcast? If so, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. As your Chief Inspirational Officer, I coach passionate entrepreneurs like you to achieve complete confidence and clarity to reach your one-year goal in 90 days. Learn how you can get more done in less time with my number one proven formula for consistency and clarity. Simply go to go.marlohiggins.com to download. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week on 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo. 